This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. I have one of my old longtime buddies, uh, Dr. John Daniel Rudd. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Truman. How are you? I am just perfect. Now, uh, I really, you haven't had a whole lot to do this year, have you? Well, it's been slow. Yeah. 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 Bless yeah. your heart. Yeah. You need to go out and drum up some vision. I think they're trying to do it out here in front of Adams places. They they they've got all of these um, leaves, the dead leaves. Right. And and they're spreading dust out the front. Will that kill the virus? I I didn't know exactly what they were doing. I don't know. It it's worth doing a study on it. Yeah. Can we do a study on the presidential election? I wouldn't know where to start. This has been a crazy year, hasn't it? I know. We're 16 days out from the election, and we still don't know anything. Yeah. Well, we know some things, but I guess we shouldn't say it, should we? Yeah. Well, you know, we've got to got to wait until it's all done. Yeah. You know. Now, have you ever seen anything as crazy as what's going on this year in all the different versions of what this particular virus is doing and all that stuff. I know you have done a lot of study on it yourself, which you always do when, when something like this is kind of surrounding us. But uh, I think that that's what's driving a lot of people crazy. They keep coming up with all kinds of different versions of what they should do to protect themselves and all of those things. And... Uh, you can't get a hundred percent agreement on any of it. Well, it's difficult because the virus is basically a new virus. Mm-hmm. It's in a family of viruses that we're used to, but it's not something in itself that we're used to. So we're having to learn how to deal with it. And um, and the key to it is really going to be probably having the vaccinations out, and mm-hmm. those will be coming soon. But we've got a tremendous spike in the infections right now. Yeah. And we're going to see, um, you know, big numbers on that. And the relative risk is, is low, but the spinoff from it economically and psychologically is tremendous. Yeah. And people are not doing well with isolation. Um, I'm one of them. You know, and it's, uh, it's tough. Uh, the number of... People who have had serious uh, psychological problems is is just escalated like crazy. Um, we're seeing increase in domestic violence, increase in child abuse. We're seeing increase in relapse from alcohol and drug use. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spinoff of all this stuff is 
is very expensive. Not to mention the fact that the regular health maintenance that we all try to do has been curtailed. And so people aren't getting tested for their, you know, heart problems, diabetes problems, uh, cancers. uh, The cancer screenings are way down, which means that we're going to have more cancers that are discovered at more advanced stages in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really difficult time. Well, I was thinking right now is uh, flu season, cold season, all the other things that have similar uh, uh, kind of uh, things that the the virus you look at as what's going on with that is is that kind of flooding the uh, uh is that really giving the doctors a hard time right now are, are you seeing more patients simply because uh people are having colds they're having flu symptoms they're having all these other things that could possibly be the virus the covid virus itself but it's not well, a lot of this is going to be diminished because of what we're doing to protect against COVID. Mm-hmm. As we isolate, uh, we wear face mask, we do all the things that we can do, it's going to cut down the transmission of all respiratory viruses. So we're going to see less flu this year. We're going to see less colds because of what we're doing for COVID. Now, surely we're not going to be wearing masks continually after all this virus is gone and and no but i think you'll still see you'll it's not going to be uncommon to see people wearing a mask for some time um you know i think people in the past would have thought oh there's a kook Mm -hmm. you know but now you're going to see people probably for a few years who choose to wear a mask oh wow and you know i think that is that a good thing it's not bad it's you know it's not it's not bad at all it's one of those things that if people feel more comfortable with that they should do it it definitely decreases the transmission of aerosols and droplets that mm-hmm. and it you know we know that the severity of disease that people get in other diseases that we've studied more like hepatitis C and HIV and uh, even influenza it becomes more severe the more virus particles you get at one at the time you get infected Mm-hmm. And I suspect it's going to be proven the same with COVID-19, that the more um, SARS-CoV-2 virus we get at the initial infection, infection, we will have more severe disease. And um, masks do decrease that. Um, how much? It depends on, of course, if people wear the mask under their chin, it doesn't help much. Or if they, you know, keep their nose out, uh, it doesn't help as much. Um, you know, you you can have operator error on anything, including an airplane. And, you know, operator error is a major problem. And you'd think a mask is pretty simple to avoid operator error, but it's amazing how many people I see wear a mask under their chin and beneath their nose. What about the herd mentality, where people just say, the heck with it, and then say if everybody said... The mask is something I don't want to wear. I want to go to work every day. I want to go to school every day. I want to have uh, 
a relationship out there. And I'm, I can't have a relationship with the walls inside my house. And uh, I think most of us perk up when we have a conversation with people and we can see them uh, or, or we can hug them. And, and when you walked in here, they asked you, have you, heard, have you hugged anybody or have you kissed anybody today? How did you answer that? Well, I just signed the forms. <laughs> but, but uh, oh, I had uh, sweet Lisa. You know Lisa over at Sylvan Park. She came over and hugged me today. Good. And I, it made me a whole lot healthier than I was before. There you go. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, we, we have to accept that 98%, 99% of people are going to do fine. Yeah. But when the absolute number of people gets into the millions, one or two percent that get really sick can basically crowd out the hospitals mm. so that if you break your leg, they tell you, sorry, we don't have room for you. Yeah. You know, or if you have an acute uh, appendicitis, mm-hmm. they go, I'm sorry, we don't have room for you. We'll have to send you to Memphis. And the problem is we have a certain hospital capacity. Yeah. And is that the biggest problem? That's the biggest problem. Yeah. You know, uh, we know that the medications, therapeutics for it are getting better. Uh, but if we don't have a place to put the sickest people, that's a problem. I mean, and we can't build hospitals for pandemics. Yeah. Because it's it's like... You know, building a, a sheriff's department for an invasion. You know, you can't have enough officers for a a war that may start in 22 years. Yeah. Y- you can't keep that. And I think that hospitals are faced with the same thing. They have to have staffing. They have to have the infrastructure to maintain all those beds month in and month out when it's very boring. Mm-hmm. And and most people would look at that and say, well, just shut some of those down. Well, you can't just turn them on again, like a switch. Yeah. And so that's the problem we're into right now. The hospital beds, right now we're doing okay, but it's going up. And I heard today that a lot of the hospital beds in Nashville are being occupied by people from out of state. Mm. You know, I'm sure they're Kentucky and Alabama, Mississippi, uh, you know, people, because Nashville's a uh, kind of a mecca for healthcare excellence, and yeah. with Vanderbilt and Centennial, and um, you know, there's a, there are a lot of people that want to go there if they get sick. Um, so, I I think that it's a hard decision to make. Just like with the president, he was saying that we need to get our workforce back again, right? And we need to have our schools open. He, he, basically, we need to get back to. A, a normal type of existence. And when you're talking about a high 90% of the people, once they get it, uh, they're going to be fine. Right. And, and and then later on, they don't have to really worry about it much anymore. They have an immunity in, in some respects to the, that particular disease. So it, it, it's very difficult to decide what to do. And, and I realize that the, the two or three percent. I mean, nobody wants anyone to die for a, a a particular type of disease. But when you when you kind of try to equal it all out, 
It's very difficult. It, it looks like that there would be some way that um, the people who are more vulnerable, and a lot of those are already uh, patients of some type or, or have a disease of some type, and a, a really terrible disease like cancer and, and major heart problems and things like that. It's, it, it's um, I don't know how, how in the world, if I was president of the United States or if you were president of the United States, I don't really know how we would make those decisions. Well, I think you have to just make your best shot and realize there's going to be mistakes. Yeah. Um, it, one of the things that happens, I saw this last week where I have a patient who's been doing fine. He's in his 70s, and uh, he called and said that he had been having uh, really bad indigestion, but he wasn't going to the hospital. Yeah. And he just wanted a refill of his uh, proton pump inhibitor, his uh, ulcer medication. Mm -hmm. And I told him, no, can't do that. Got to see you. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want to come in. I said, well, then that's a choice you can make. Mm -hmm. But it was a fear of all this that he didn't want to come in. Well, he, he did come in, and uh, he was having a heart attack. He wow. ended up with uh, triple bypass surgery. Um, and... You know, and he's taken care of and everything's okay. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that people like that who have this, they, they're they afraid to go to the hospital. Right now, we still have hospital capacity, so they're able to take him. Mm -hmm. But what do we do when they're afraid to go to the hospital and there are no hospital beds? Yeah. I mean, what are we going to do then? And are you going to vote for somebody who has put us in a position to where your brother can't get in and get bypass surgery? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. And, you know, and what's the relative risk to the country, to society, on each each direction we go? Yeah. It's not easy. And, you know... Those are personal decisions that uh, affect... Someone very close to you. Right. Usually those are the ones that kind of went out over all the other things. Absolutely. And and when you have uh, a situation where basically the economy is is important. Yeah. But it's it's not a war. It's not a, an actual war. Like in World War One. Thank goodness during World War One. We didn't have the science to know what the flu was. Yeah. And so we just had to fight it, and we lost a lot of people from flu. But the war went on. We won the war. And a lot of people died from battle, and a lot of people died from flu. Mm -hmm. uh, that couldn't happen today. We, wouldn't, we would cancel the war. What would happen if the COVID virus starts to change and alter the way that it's, it's going to affect people? Well, I think, first of all, worrying about things that haven't happened is just going to upset you at night. It's not worth it. You know, it's unlikely that the virus is going to change in a way that makes it more dangerous. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, viruses change in ways that make them less dangerous. You know, one of the things that's uh, going on this last couple of weeks is the um, in Denmark, 
mm-hmm. which you know we've been kind of using Europe as kind of a bellwether for yeah. what's happening in our country a little later. But in Denmark, they uh, they had the SARS-CoV-2 virus go from people into these mink uh, farms. Wow! And and mink farm mink are you know little animals they make coats out of. Uh, but there's uh, I don't know ten million mink in Denmark, and this was the first time they had documented that the virus went from people into an animal and then back from the animal back to people in a mutated form is that rare we don't we haven't seen it before yeah and so but we know it happens because we know that the reservoir for the virus it is usually it's bats Mm -hmm. but we know that in mers which was the middle east respiratory syndrome it was camels and we know other animals can probably do it uh pandolins and badgers and and probably others but this was documented to go into the mink and then back to people in a with a mutation that changes the receptor binding for the virus mm-hmm. the worry is that and i think it's a right now it's it's more theoretical than it is practical but um is that somehow this change might affect the vaccine and make the vaccine less effective in Mm -hmm. protecting against the virus. Now, Uh, are closed-in areas more dangerous than being outside in in the fresh air? Yeah, I think that, well, you know, you're kind of getting into the point where the virus has, it's a respiratory virus. Yeah. It has a seasonality. Respiratory viruses are more common in cold weather and less common in warm weather. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much typical for all of them. And this one seems to be the same. And it's related to temperature and humidity and proximity. Mm-hmm. And so and ven- you know, and so as people congregate inside uh during the winter and the heat's on, um you know, it's it it just affects the way the virus how long it lives in the aerosol. We know that most of this virus transmission is from direct contact Mm -hmm. it's not from surface contact it's you know that's called fomites the when it's a surface like a tabletop or a doorknob or something Mm -hmm. it it probably happens some but most of it is due to person to person it's due to the aerosol it's like if somebody we know well rides in a car with somebody home from a graduation party yeah thank you very much (laughs) for bringing that up (laughs) we know what can happen but, but you know, I had it, and then after I had it, I did. I had very few symptoms. I was going crazy, like most of the people that are home and, don't, and you don't have anybody around you. Uh, some people just have to have uh, a, a mental connection with other people. I'm, I'm one of those people. I have to be around other people. It, it just what that's what makes me go. But. Uh, then that it's over with, I want to go out and be normal again since I've had it, and then uh, I'm I'm still tied down to a point. It's like you get over the disease, but then again, you you, you still have handcuffs on. Well, you're tied down by societal restrictions. Right. I mean, society is locking down again. Yeah. And you are in society, and so the only way out of it is to go to Australia or New Zealand for a few weeks. 
What if I can go there? What if I can buy a farm over there and get away from everything? Well, then you'd be fine. No, I'll be crazy because i got to have people around me. <laughs> well, there's you probably know. some people out there. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I don't know. but it's Well, like Crocodile and Dundee's probably there over there if I, if I can yeah. find them. It, it, it's, just, it's just a crazy thing that it doesn't seem to be any positive answers for it. Well, there are positives, okay? The, the vaccine is coming, and the mm-hmm. vaccine... Um, we have information on two of them now that are uh, one's from Pfizer and one's from Moderna, and they're both amazingly effective, mm-hmm. more so than any other vaccine we've got for any disease. And so, I mean, that's really... What's taking it so long? Well, government processes, government rules. It's, yeah. The FDA has to issue an uh, emergency use authorization for the uh, vaccine. It's already made. It's packaged. It's in boxes. It's ready to ship. Mm-hmm. Waiting on the FDA stamp, and they want to be as safe as they can be. And I get it. I mean, they've got procedures to do, and they're they don't want to slip up and and let something out that ends up hurting more people than it helps. Well, now it's my understanding that doctors, uh, medical people are going to be the first, and then people of my age group, and actually I'm a little bit older than that age group, and I certainly am not going to get it, and you and I have discussed that before. Yeah, you don't need it. I don't, I don't need it, so I, I'm not going to get it. What about, how can they eliminate all of the people in our age group that are still healthy and um, have, have already been through the process? Well, it's going to be one of those things they know they can't. And so one of the things they've had to look at is what happens when you vaccinate somebody that's had it. Mm -hmm. And and there's a condition that's been shown really in in one other disease that is um, it's an antibody enhanced disease where if you vaccinate somebody for a disease and they've had it, it actually, in that one disease, can show problems. Mm-hmm. And they have had to look for that in this. And so far, they haven't found that. Well, that's unusual then. I didn't... Re- so, uh, to, to make sure that the people get the, the, the vaccination that need it, how do you eliminate all of those people, which I'm sure there's been a large number of them, and maybe go directly to the people that uh, obviously have to have the vaccination. Well, you you can't eliminate all of them because we know that 30 or 40 percent of people who get COVID-19 have no symptoms. Yeah. And so, you know, they're going to obviously ask, have you had it? Mm-hmm. And if you say no, then you'll get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. But you can't know that for sure without really being tested, and they don't have time to test everybody. Yeah. So you know. there's no record-keeping system to eliminate uh, those people. Well, there's no records of it. Wow. I mean, you know, if, if you got it and didn't have symptoms, you're not on record anywhere. Yeah. So is it because most of the people that have reached say, in their 60s and on up. I presume 60 is probably the low number, all, all the way up. And uh, most of them have had some type of health problems when, when, oh, you, get into, yeah, yeah, when I mean, you get into those age groups. Yeah, I mean, you know, half of our population's overweight. 
uh, has high blood pressure, uh, heart disease. Uh, so it's common to have these comorbidities yeah. in older people. How, how can older people, I know exercise is a big thing. If you still have the uh, ability to get out and walk and do the things that you need to do to keep your body healthy, um, I wonder how long we would live if everybody decided to do that. Would it be Methuselah's age? Well, or, or? No, no, I doubt it. I, no. If it's such a big word. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it's one of those. No, I, I think that our bodies are just, they wear out at about, depending on your genetics and how well you've taken care of yourself, everybody's body wears out. You know, statistically, to get to be 100 years old, yeah. Only one in ten thousand women will get to be a hundred, and one in a hundred thousand men will get to be a hundred. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. I mean, there are people over a hundred. And what, what sure. causes the difference? Is it nagging, or what exactly is it that the women can live so much longer than the men? I think personally, it's because they're much tougher. You think so? Yeah, I do. I don't think it's a nagging. Hmm. So what we should do is put all the ladies in the military. See, the guys, they're much tougher than men, so they should be out there on the front. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Bless your heart. You you answer these questions so well. I mean, um, I think you belong in government. I really do. (laughs) What do you have against me, Truman? (laughs) I love you. I thought you liked me. I do. I think the world of you. You are one of those people that your patients can talk to you. You answer their questions in in, um, in the proper way. You tell them you're truthful with them, no matter what the situation is. I've always told you you got the worst bedside manner because if I'm thinking I'm going to get over something, then you said, nah, you're done. Say, oh, oh, great. But but you have taken care of I don't know how many patients that I have talked to that um, they, it, it, like you're a true savior to them. Well, I don't I mean, overdo really, it. Yeah, well, don't overdo it. Don't I'm overdo not overdoing it. No, it. But it's like, you know, I... It's something that I, I enjoy what I do, yeah. and if I can help people, that's really my goal. But I think that it's important for people to have information. We we have to face reality, yeah. and reality can be tainted by politics and the media. Uh, it can be tainted by you know finances or the economy. A lot of things can change what's real and the way it's real to us. Yeah, but. My job is to try to tell people in the most honest way what they have and what to expect. Because they can make plans. And if those plans, they might not be good. But sometimes, you know, it's best to know. Yeah. I know Miss Dora Rivers just absolutely loves you to death. In fact, a lot of people, they don't like to go to the doctor's office. Miss Dora did like to go because she had a great conversation with you. My mother loved to see you coming because she would want to show you the birds outside and all the things, and she wanted you to hug her when you when you left. And uh, you can't find that relationship uh, everywhere. It's like you're part of the old school. And, and, and I think that, that that's, well, a, that's really a compliment. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But, you know, the one thing that's changing medicine 
is the way doctors are reimbursed. You know, the payment controls the behavior. Yeah. Because doctors, they have businesses. that They have to hire nurses. They have to pay for utilities. It costs money. Yeah. And in order to work in an office situation, you have to generate income. That's what it's based on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and... And that's not bad, but it, as the financial pressures have changed and the way reimbursement has changed in doctors' offices, there's a lot of pressure to to move on and, and see people and talk less. Um, a lot of times there's the use of physician extenders, so, such as nurse practitioners and physician assistants. Mm-hmm. It, it's necessitated by the world that we live in. Yeah. And it used to be that wasn't the case. And now it is. And you have, you have great people working for you. you well, really I, I mean, I appreciate that, you know, and, and I'm very proud of the folks we have working with us. I mean, we've got great people, and um, bless their hearts. I mean, you know, they're, they, they work hard, they're smart, they're loyal, uh, really, really good people. Yeah. And, you know, the f- folks that I have working with me at the jail, I mean, you know, we've, I couldn't ask for better. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with John Daniel Rudd. Thank From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Adams Place is a premier senior living facility in Murfreesboro, offering independent living, assisted living, memory care, health care center, and on-site rehabilitation. Call us at Adams Place and arrange a tour today. Enjoy gentle joint exercise in the indoor pool, our soda shop, and many planned activities and trips for every taste. Adams Place is at 1927 Memorial Boulevard. Hey guys, prioritizing your health is now more important than ever. Not only to build your immune system, but to address chronic health issues that you may have. I recommend Low T Center. They exclusively specialize in men's wellness and follow strict medical guidelines for your health and safety. Low T Center has reinvented the doctor's visit, making it easy to get all of your levels checked, not just your testosterone. It all starts with an annual wellness exam where they do a comprehensive health assessment so you know all the numbers important to your health. If you've been feeling tired, grumpy, have noticed weight gain and loss of muscle mass, those could be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center can determine the cause and help. And now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatments, providing convenience and additional health monitoring measures for your safety, including a take-home blood pressure monitoring cuff. Self-inject at-home treatments are $135 a month for self-pay or covered by most health insurance. Book your annual wellness exam today at LowTCenter.com. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Napa know-how. Right now, get a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil and a platinum filter for just $22.98. They're an iconic duo like salt and pepper, a hammer and a nail, or the holidays and awkward hugs. You can't get one without the other. That's Napa full synthetic and a platinum filter for just $22.98. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 12 20 
Right now, Allstate has almost as many ways to save as there are types of music. Save for being a new customer. Save more for adding DriveWise. And save even more for driving safely. Visit Allstate.com or contact your local agent to get a quote. Find out how much you can save today. Allstate. Now that should be music to your ears. Not available in every state. New customer savings based on early signing discount. Drive-Eyes is an optional feature. Savings vary based on how you buy. Subject to terms and conditions. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Northbrook, Illinois. Bud's Tire Pros makes buying tires simpler so you can get back to when being on the move was carefree. For a limited time, get up to a $120 reward card after submission when you bundle at least two new qualifying Michelin or BF Goodrich passenger or light truck tires, as well as select Michelin motorcycle, scooter, and bicycle tires. Or get a $120 reward card per purchase of four new Michelin Cross Climate 2 tires. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. Find out more at BudsTireProsTN.com. See store for complete details. Offers valid from November 18th, 2020 through December 9th, 2020. Void where prohibited. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. Rutherford County Schools will close all Thanksgiving week due to rising COVID-19 cases. Schools are closed Wednesday through Friday next week anyway due to Thanksgiving, but the county will use two stockpile days and close the rest of the week. The Laverne Police Department mourning the death of canine officer Jock Wednesday, a day after being shot multiple times inside a patrol car during a shootout. The LPD says Officer Jock was inside a patrol car with handler Officer Justin Darby when a man pulled up beside them and fired into the car. Jock was hit three times, but Officer Darby was not shot, and the shooter was later killed. On Wednesday afternoon, motorists who were traveling near the intersection of South Rutherford Boulevard and Meharry Boulevards hit congestion traffic. That was the result, police say, of a collision between a Ford F-150 pickup and a Nissan Altima. There were no injuries, but the Nissan appeared to have the most damage as airbags were deployed. Renewable energy options are important to an increasing number of people around the globe, and Middle Tennessee Electric's Distributed Energy Resources Coordinator Tim Suddeth says the utility is adding Green Switch 100 to their offerings. We have a lot of members that want to go solar or they want to have all of their energy produced with renewables, and sometimes that's not possible based on site, homeowners association restrictions, financial reasons. So we developed this program to be able to give members a low-cost option to source 100% of their energy needs through renewables. It includes 80% solar, 10% wind, and 10% biogas generation, all produced by TVA in the Valley and Green E-Energy certified. Suddeth explained there's no contract to sign and customers can cancel any time. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. Skies become mostly sunny this afternoon, high in the mid-60s. South winds of 5 to 15 miles per hour, gusting as high as 20. Tonight, mostly clear, low near 40. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 51. Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes. For Premier Six Theater, they're now open. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. 
It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And we're back with John Daniel Rudd. And uh, a caller, uh, while we were on break, called in and wants to know what the difference is between a nurse practitioner and a physician's assistant. Well, let me... Uh, they're Functionally, they're about the same, mm-hmm. but... Uh, specifically, they're different. The uh, PA goes through a four-year training program uh, from after they get out of high school, mm-hmm. which is like a college degree. Yeah. And the closest one is at Treveca in Nashville. Mm. Um, basically, a lot of uh, people opt for that because it, it's four years, a little bit shorter than the nurse practitioner program. Mm-hmm. The nurse practitioner program is a master's degree in nursing. Mm-hmm. And now Vanderbilt has a bridge program. It's called a bridge program because basically they'll take somebody who has a degree in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with one nurse practitioner who was a travel agent. And she decided she wanted to be a nurse practitioner. So she had to do a couple of the core required courses. Mm-hmm. And then she goes into their bridge program, which is a two-year program, but she already had a college degree. So it's actually six to seven years long to go and become a nurse practitioner mm-hmm. as opposed to a PA. But when they get out, they both do the same thing, working with physicians as uh, they call them physician extenders or mid-level providers uh, there's different names for it, but basically, um, they have to work with a physician in Tennessee. Yeah, they can't have an independent practice. Now, if you were selecting someone to be in one of those positions, would would you um, be more likely to pick uh, the four year degree or or someone who had had a, a degree in a master's in something else and then decide that? They'd go the short route. I think really it's dependent upon the individual mm-hmm. because there are really good candidates that come from both routes. Mm-hmm. I've seen some excellent PAs, and I've worked with excellent nurse practitioners. The main thing is you've got to find people who have uh, good work experience after they get their degree because mm-hmm. that's where you learn. The first part is the preparation, but you need to be working in a in a practice situation with a doctor who's willing to teach you. Yeah. Th- that's critical. You have done well with yours because uh, I, I have dealt with them a, a number of times and, and being at the SO and knowing so many people and uh, having people who have a relationship with their patients uh, – uh, and, and, and the patients want to keep coming back to this particular person, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? It does, it does. I, and actually, when I started in practice in um, the uh, mid-'80s, I was the first physician in, in Rutherford County that had a nurse practitioner. Oh, wow. And um, and she was excellent. She was really, really good. And, um, you know, and so... I've got a lot of experience in dealing with nurse practitioners. I've never actually had a PA that worked directly for me, but I've had 
several patients who've gone into the PA uh, training program, and I've known a lot of them. And but yeah, I, I enjoy working with them. They're you know they're very very good folks, and they do a great job. Mm-hmm. And in the world today, without them, it'd be impossible to get everybody seen. Yeah, I, I, I mean, as busy as you are, you're probably busier than any physician in, in the whole county. Because <laughs> I you don't know. know. Well, you have your, your uh, patients, the regular patients that come to your office, and and I know you do a lot of talking with with a lot of them over the phone. But you've got a jail that has. From a lot of times of the thousand patients in it that are coming in and out and it's constantly changing and then you have the workhouse I, I, it, it blows my mind to even think about it and I was always worried to be perfectly honest with you because you were such a good friend that that you were just going to explode one day I, well, I, I never, never seen know. Know. <laughs> I know but with this virus uh, going on you guys have really done well managing the medical part of the jail you really have because it could be a disaster well it's and it's not really something we have total control of yeah we're we're kind of a victim of what happens in in our community mm-hmm. we can't turn people away because they have a virus yeah if they get arrested, we got them, and we take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've managed through this. We've had uh, an initial spike in people with uh, COVID-19 early on last uh, spring, and then it sort of went down, and, and now we're still under control, but I'm braced for a resurgence. I don't... I don't know if it'll come or not, but it's definitely coming in the community, and I don't see how we can avoid it um, because the community is what feeds the population in the jail. Mm-hmm. It, do you have things there in, in, in the penal part uh, of, of the jail where people are uh, confined and with a number of others in the you, you were talking about earlier uh, uh, that the uh, airflow and the and the clean air and, and all those things, that's something you don't have in, in a facility like that. Well, they, they can't get out and walk around and enjoy the sunshine. Yeah. But we, we have systems in place that basically uh, allow us to move people through as they test. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that is a, a civil right is that people who – come in can refuse testing that's not something we can mandate even though it's for their own health yeah uh we have a significant number of people who refuse to be tested and we have to deal with that and uh, the people who want to be tested we test yeah and if someone says they've been exposed to someone or you know there's other kind of contact then we address that and we have uh you know, things set up so that people can move from more restrictive to less restrictive areas as far as exposure to other uh, patients or inmates. Yeah. Well, you know, the odd thing about that, I have had so many people back when I was over there that would kind of get a little angry with me because they are getting free medical care over there. In fact, some of them would say they're getting better care at the jail than I am uh 
and I haven't committed a crime. Well, tell them, come on over. Yeah. <laughs> what? Commit a crime? Is that what you're saying? Oh, my gosh. You know, I love talking. You, you're yeah. so much fun. You, you really are. But, you know, it, to be put in that kind of situation that you are, uh, you, you can tell other doctors that uh, uh, they're very fortunate to have control over what they do in their particular offices because you're having to deal with government problems and everything else that, that goes with you. And uh, you, you've you really given back to this community by taking care of something that a lot of people would, uh, they don't want to do it. Well, I'm used to this. I've been doing it for, you know, a lot of years. Your dad now. was over yeah. at the VA. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. He was a head of outpatient at the VA when I was a, a kid. Here. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, but I feel like that, you know, this is something that um, correctional health care or inmate health care is, it's like public health. Mm-hmm. It's important because everybody in there is going to be out yeah. almost. I mean, there's a few that might not for a long, long time, but most of them are. And we see such problems with um, psychiatric illness, mm-hmm. uh, drug addiction, um, chronic uncontrolled health problems, diabetes, heart disease, kidney failure, vascular disease, uh, pulmonary diseases that uh, for a lot of these folks, this is the only place they get attention. Yeah. And it's not an option. This has been it's mandated by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. People can be upset just like they can be upset about how the election turns out. It doesn't matter. They have to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, we are we have to take care of people who are in jail. And it really is for the betterment of all of society to take care of them correctly. A lot of times it'll make a difference in their attitude once they leave the jail to have somebody taking care of them that they they feel it they really do feel that that uh, uh, they're human just like anybody else and then now they've got somebody that really cares about them because you spend that much time with them trying to help them get through uh, whatever their medical problem is and I've seen it over and over again when they leave there a lot of times they are different people well I I tell you I, I have so many personal uh, stories about patients that I can't share because of, you know, privacy concerns. But uh, many people, many people have been so grateful for what we've done for them, uh, how we've taken care of them, and then uh, what we continue to do after they're released. Yeah. Well, how do you feel when you get home? Tired. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you do it. Uh, uh, You have you've had few medical problems like all the rest of us but none of them slows you down which is amazing and i've seen these uh uh old old movies in the 30s and the 40s what was it dr kildare and (laughs) did did you ever look at uh i think was it lou Ayers that played dr kildare back in the old movies time did you ever look at that and say hey that's me no no, no, I never thought like that. I, you know, my dad was a doctor, and I always kind of wanted to be like him. But I, at the same time, uh, there were traits he had that I didn't want. Yeah, and I didn't pick them up, 
and so those are good. And uh, I think that, you know, I, I have pretty much wanted to do what I'm doing my whole life since I was five or six years old. Yeah. You know, I remember going to uh, Mitchell Nielsen's school for uh, elementary school. and. Did you see my picture on the wall? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. That was a great school, wasn't yeah, well, it? Well, that's better than having it at the post office. Yeah, yeah. You know. But it was a great school. It, I mean, was, it, it a, was. This is a great community to yeah. grow up in, and you knew a lot of people once you became a, a, a doctor. Yeah, I did, and uh, and I love Rutherford County and Murfreesboro. It's you know it's it's my hometown, and we moved here when I was um, in early elementary school, and so it's uh, it, it's it's been good. It's been really good. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've had a uh, Wonderful experience uh, with all the people I've grown older with, and yeah. uh, with my my kids and family, and so it's it's all good. What about Doctor Murphy? What what kind of uh, influence did he have on you? I notice you dress different. You're uh, you don't have the uh, barn boots that if you go in to see somebody or anything like that. And I've never seen you build a dam. Like uh, he did, but I know he had a lot of influence on you. Well, he he did have influence on me. He, uh, in fact, was the one who got me to first come over to the jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, after shortly after I moved here and started practice, uh, I met him in the um, uh, area in front of the elevators at the old hospital. And I walked in one morning, and he came up to me, and uh, he said, uh, "You're Doctor Rudd, aren't you? You just..." came here and i said yes sir i am and he said well i'm dr murphy and he said uh i'm getting ready to die and when i do will you go over to the jail and check on him for me and now how did that statement right there affect you oh well i i was impressed with his honesty and, yeah. and what he wanted and i asked him if i said i didn't know that and i said if is there anything i can do for you and mm-hmm. he said no he said everything's good but he said uh um I appreciate you doing that, and so uh, I love that attitude. You know, yeah. and uh, uh, I found out later he had a, a malignancy. Yeah. And um, but then one day, a few months after that, I had a, a lady who came in to see me as, at the office, and she said, "I always ask, you know, how they ended up coming to me and everything." And she said, "Well, I was Dr. Murphy's patient, but he died." And I hadn't heard that. And so she said, well, he put a, a note on his d- door that said, if y'all get sick, go see Dr. Rudd. That's one of the greatest compliments and, and, uh, anybody could have because yeah. everybody had a great deal of a respect for him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he I, I didn't know him well, but uh, that was my experience with him. And so after that, I went over. You just, you'd been elected two or three years, I think, sheriff by then. And mm-hmm. uh, you were in the jail on West Main Street and... I went over there one day and introduced myself and said, you know, Dr. Murphy had asked me to come check on things. And so I sat down, and uh, I think uh, Charlie Robertson was in the kitchen that day. He was a jailer there. (laughs) Did you get to eat some cabbage? (laughs) Uh, Well, I sat there and had a biscuit and uh, coffee. He had made biscuits that morning. And so uh, I met him and his brother and and a few different officers, you know. Clyde. uh, Yeah. And uh, so we, uh, that was the beginning of it. And so I would just come by, you know, periodically. At that time, I think, uh, you know, our number was, you know, 20 or 25 people in jail, no yeah. women. Yeah. 
quite different now. We're up, you know, uh, in the close to a thousand range most of the time. So it's changed. It's changed a lot. A lot of people would come and drop in the jail because it was such an interesting place. And I knew everybody that came through the doors, whether it was the prisoners or the family of the prisoners and all that. And it was so interesting. And you're talking about Charlie and Clyde. They would actually, of course, they didn't, none of us made a lot of money. Even the sheriff back then was uh, uh, pretty much uh, eating at the cheapest places. But it was so funny to watch them take their money that they're making and go buy special treats for the prisoners. Uh, it, it would be anything from candy to, to maybe going to a, one of these fast food restaurants and getting them a hamburger or, or whatever. It, it was that they built a relationship with the prisoners. And that's when I first started noticing if, if you if you open up your heart to even the people that are locked up. Uh, and, you know, there's probably a few in there that would probably want to kill me. But you you, you kind of do. If, if you build a relationship with them, it's the oddest thing. Because I, I have known some in there that um, the, they, they've kind of got shark eyes when they're in there. And then after a while... You see them start warming up because they have never had anybody be kind to them and probably from the day that they were born. And then when they see something that's obviously different and and, and you've got that uh, uh, way of dealing with people, they trust you no matter what the, the problem is. They know that you're going to fix it for them. And and and, that, and that's a that's a life experience that a lot of people don't get to have, and it's a blessing. It really is. Well, we do what we can, but yeah. you know, one of the things that's really changed in our society has been the amount of drug use. Yeah. And the drug use has fueled the amount of psychiatric illness. In in the days, oh, especially if you go back into the. 50s and uh, 60s, before drugs became rampant, mm -hmm. uh, mental illness was relatively rare. I mean, people had moods, and there was mild depression, and there was occasional schizophrenia. But now, the amount of mental, mental illness that I see, I see more than most any psychiatrist does in, with active, you know, psychotic illnesses. Yeah. Because I think... It's fueled by drug use. Drugs absolutely destroy your brain. And it, it's something that it's so difficult because it's so addicting and so quick um, that, you know, one of the things that is, is interesting is the history of uh, crystal meth. Mm. You know, crystal meth was used initially in World War II. I uh, didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know... We we used amphetamines for pilots to you know make long runs, but the the Germans used there was it was a, a brand of drug that was basically pure crystal meth that allowed them to do the blitzkrieg, mm. you know where they could they could go for three or four days and yeah. they were vicious, ruthless, heartless. Yeah. But it was because they were on crystal meth, and there were tablets that they would give them, mm -hmm. and so that was sort of the beginning of you know, all of it. And then 
after World War II, I mean, after World War II was over, then Vietnam, and you know, the drug use in America increased, and now we're seeing, uh, you know, regular marijuana has a much higher THC content than marijuana did in the 50s, mm-hmm. just like tobacco has a higher nicotine content than it did in the 50s. Yeah. It's it's being genetically modified, and in a way to make it more addicting. And now a lot of the drugs on the street, people buy marijuana and they think that it's just marijuana. Well, it's laced with something. It's either laced with synthetic narcotics uh, or uh, fentanyl, opiates. Mm -hmm. And we see this huge number of people overdosing on these drugs and and many of them dying. It's, um, It's a changing culture. And what we see is really manifest by the drug use. Well, let me ask you, uh, painkillers now that are given to patients when they have major surgeries and and things like that, I think it, no matter how bad the pain is, a lot of people, I don't like to take painkillers, but uh, there's sometimes that that just the pain overwhelms you. Well, one thing that we can do in medicine that is a blessing is we can relieve pain. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a wonderful thing. Yeah. But we know also that pain medicines that work are very addicting. And so we've had to learn how to use them appropriately. You know, if we have pain that is going to subside, like a surgical pain, mm-hmm. we want to really get people off pain medicine as quickly as possible because their pain level drops really the sooner they get off the medicine. And, you know, but people who have a pain that's not going to get better, uh, say they have a malignancy or they have an injury that is uh, like a a terrible burn Mm -hmm. or a terrible crush injury, you know, for them, pain medicine is, is a godsend. Yeah. I mean, to be able to relieve someone's pain who has, you know, 50 or 60 percent burns over their body, mm. that's a terrible pain. Yeah, I had and, a uncle did that. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and so we have to be able to be flexible enough to use pain medicines appropriately, but not to condemn people who are going to get over something to becoming addicted to it and having to live with a, a lifelong addiction. Mm-hmm. That's difficult. Because, you, you know, it takes somebody who, who looks at it and, and analyzes that and says, what position are we in here? What do we need to focus on? Yeah. You know, it's so easy to want to take something to make pain go away. Nobody likes pain. Yeah. You know, there are people who tolerate it better, but nobody likes it. And I think after a while, you get used to it a little bit, don't you? Yeah, but you don't go back out and hit yourself in the hand with a hammer just yeah. to feel it again. Yeah, people like me who who have had so many injuries over my lifetime, and then I've got uh, uh, shoulders that, no matter which way I turn, they feel like they're going to come apart. Right. But but uh, after a while, you, 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 I've I've had no shots or no, nothing in them, and I can still operate. So right. you you just kind of it's almost like you get used to it. But I've got a uh, a real question for you. Yeah. Um, you know that there's a couple of agencies that are involved in a lawsuit right now 
because the 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 marijuana content in certain um, things that they sell in stores that supposedly help the pain uh, in their bodies go away. You know which one I'm talking about. Um, I guess you're talking about CBD. Yeah, yeah. Um, how in the world, if it's still giving people relief from pain, uh, how does it not have any of the contents in it that are the illegal parts? And that, that still bothers me. Well, the illegal part is THC. Okay. Okay. Uh, tetrahydrocannabinoid. Mm-hmm. And the CBD products have the THC removed. Okay. There's other active components, but they're not that THC. Mm-hmm. And the way drugs are categorized to determine if they're legal or not legal is by their chemical structure. Everything, Even though it does give some other type of symptoms right, there. Right. It's kind of like, you know, we as a society do a lot of things that are kind of based on money mm-hmm. and lobbying. There's not much that can affect your brain more than alcohol, but you yeah. can get that anywhere. Yeah. You know, and so if we're going to say, well, we don't want anybody to take anything that can affect their thinking we got to regroup mm-hmm. because alcohol is, is major. Yeah. And, you know, and so it's understanding that we decide as a society based on that what we're going to outlaw and what we're not going to outlaw. And with marijuana, the chemical that was decided upon was THC. Yeah. Now, they figured out how to basically distill the THC out and have other cannabinoids mm-hmm. that are legal that are not as mood altering and that is what's in cbd products yeah and they're legal but but all of these uh mind altering uh drugs alcohol is one of them they all will affect the body in a negative way they can uh, yeah yeah the more you use the more effect they have yeah and and you see um there are so many people that i know that used to drink you know socially and things like that and then all of a sudden they start having liver problems and all those other things that seem to go with it even diabetes and uh, do should they have some type of warning label on the bottles or or, or give some of the people that that drink an education as the harmful effects that they're going to be seeing as they get older. I think almost everything out there has a warning label on it. I well, mean, no you, cigarettes. You just so. have to be able to read it. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't think anybody that I know of or ever encounter believes alcohol doesn't have some negative effects. Yeah. I mean, we have DUI laws. We have all kinds of things in place that say, hey, alcohol can be a problem. Um, we but know. you see people coming out of hospitals, and the reason they're, they're coming out to sit on a bench or something is you can't smoke inside of a hospital. Right. And, and they're on oxygen and everything else. It, it, it's amazing how we can become so affected by something 
that has a, a long use. I remember the first time I smoked a cigarette. I was 18 years old, and a bunch of the kids had smoked one, so I smoked one. Well, I smoked about three puffs, and I, about, I almost passed out. I got sick as a dog. But uh, we we just experience life in so many different ways, don't we? We, we do. We, we don't think a lot about what, what the consequences are going to be. Well, I think that there's peer pressure. Uh, there's also people have a lot of uh, emotional pain. Yeah. And when when you're struggling and dealing with emotional issues, we tend to want to medicate those feelings mm. and not feel them. Uh, we don't like to feel bad or feel upset, feel down. And, it, it, and so we tend to want to medicate that. And a couple of drinks or, a, you know, a six-pack or a 24-pack of beer makes everything look better. And, For a short and, time. Sure. Until you have the consequences of it. Yeah. And so that medicating of feelings is is really it's so hard because, you know, it's, it's available, it's relatively cheap, um, and people do it. And I think that they will continue to do it. And one of the things we're seeing now, a lot of the synthetic drugs that are mm-hmm. being uh, – imported from China and other countries dangerous drugs are drugs that their organic chemists are making that are uh, derivatives of things like uh, ecstasy mm-hmm. where it's a chemical structure that has is not yet illegal in this country so i've read recently where you know kids on the internet can order legally these synthetic drugs that are designer drugs that are not yet illegal mm-hmm. because the laws haven't caught up the production and the and it's it's a terrible thing going on i mean i don't know i don't know how to keep up with it how to change it but we have these countries that are sponsoring this really just to soak money out of our country and without any concern about the consequences to the people and did you ever think that you would see a day when uh, certain groups have taken over responsibilities for responsible people here in our country? And uh, it, it doesn't seem like a normal flow of what we would see. Uh, are the people that, that you see, are they so much different than what we were growing up? I, I, I see people that are reaching out for things that nobody even thought about uh, as we were growing up. And now they're making decisions in, in Congress and in, in the Senate and some of the other places that uh, there's no logic to what they're doing. Well, I mean, then it gets into my personal philosophy a lot. But I think that one of the core things that determines how we act and believe as citizens is yeah. – the family of origin that we have. Yeah. I think if we don't have a family of origin that basically has role models for behavior, a dad, a mom, teachers, coaches, yeah. people that bring you along and teach you, then we have what we do today. Yeah. We have today the breakdown of the family. The, I mean, even teachers. I mean, you know, Fortunately, it's it's a minority of teachers, but, I mean, there's all kinds of misbehavior in teachers. 
There's all kinds of misbehavior in coaches. They're destroying the Boy Scouts. They want to destroy the Girl Scouts. Yeah. They, you know, anything that ha- has a right and wrong guideline to it, mm-hmm. they want to get rid of because they don't believe that things are simply that binary, that they're right or wrong. And when you don't teach right and wrong, people grow up and, and have no guidepost. It's like having roads with no lanes on them. We need lanes, and we need lanes to learn how to stay in our own lane. Well, did we ever give moms enough credit for what they, they've done in our lives? I know uh, most of us uh, in, in, in my age group, the dads are, were all working. Uh, my dad was a Greyhound bus driver, so he had a lot of time away from home. My mother did everything for us at home. And, and, and was part of our education process, and and, and then uh, uh, they would take us to all of our baseball practices, football practices, basketball practices, and they became, they did had all the responsibilities all themselves back in those days, and and that was so special. I mean, I I, uh, I think about what all that my mom did for every one of us. And, and uh, there, there's no way that you could ever replace that. And, and it's just something that is really, really special for me. Yeah, and that's a wonderful uh, childhood to have and yeah. memories to have. But now there's so many people that don't have that. Yeah. they You know, there's no family structure. The divorce is high. Uh, you know, abandonment of children is high. Uh, you know, there's so many people now that are living on the street that, you know, you look at in some of these towns in, well, like Los Angeles. I, yeah. I was reading the other day, it's 77,000 people in Los Angeles are homeless. Um, and many of those are women and children. Yeah. And what can we expect for their future? I mean, they, they're not being taught. Any of us, you know, have the blessings of having been taught to help us. Yeah. And without that, who knows what we would be doing today. Most of the places, uh, especially in towns the size of Murfreesboro, Smyrna, uh, we have organizations and people who will reach out to someone if if they've got special problems, especially, you know, our veterans, uh, uh, if if they have been um, uh, through some kind of the worst conditions that you can go through, and then they come back home, uh, home is a whole lot different to them than before when they when they left. And all the horrible things that they've seen, we actually have people that are willing to go out and work with those people and try to get them back to some type of normality but uh, uh, some just don't seem to want the help and and that's the bad part now a city the size of Murfreesboro we're starting to see more and more homeless people here in our community than we've ever had before I see it it every day it's growing it really is it is I see it every day yeah so I don't know I know that we've run out of time uh oh about 20 minutes ago but it's, it, you're always uh, they're so kind at the radio station to let you uh, stay over 
simply because of the interest in things that you have to share with us. And uh, I really appreciate that. It's good to be with you, Truman. All right, Dan. Have a good day. You too. We'll see you guys in the morning at 9. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.